Welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I have an amazing guest on. I've known him for many years now. He's one of the most nice, wonderful people I've ever met. And so his name is Scott Schaefer. Thank you, Scott, for being here. Hey, Martin. It's my pleasure. Good to see you. Nice to see you, too. So Scott is the senior editor of Politics and Government at KQED. It's a public, it's a public radio, TV, and online station. He's co-host of the podcast, Political Breakdown, and senior correspondent of KQD, KQED for forever. You did that. Yeah. Um, formerly, he is the chief of staff for the state controller's office, Gray Davis, and he's the former press secretary for San Francisco Mayor Agnos. He has his bachelor's of science in biology, physiology, and chemistry, and human nutrition. We're going to get into that because I don't know how he got over into the news side. And he's an avid swimmer and water polo guy. So you have a quite varied background, Scott. <laughs> yeah, I do. It's, a, it's not, a, not a straight line to where I started, uh, to where I am now. Well, you I know you tell me what you want me to tell you. <laughs> I know that's what we're going to do. I know you don't have a lot of time today. So but I am so, so happy you're on here. Um, can you tell me where you were born and raised? Yeah, so I was born in the suburbs of Buffalo, New York, um, famous for the bills and snow. <laughs> uh, and I spent my entire childhood there. You know, I was born there and uh, left when I went to college. Um, didn't go that far to college, about three hours into central New York State, uh, Cornell and Ithaca, New York. Uh, spent four years there and uh, then spent a year in Madison, Wisconsin, and then came out to California. What was your life growing up, Scott, like when you were younger, like what was your relationship like with your parents? And did you kind of know where you wanted to go with your life? Not really. Uh, you know, neither of my parents went to college, um, so they were not they were very supportive of me, you know, and but they mostly wanted me to be happy. They didn't really say, well, you should do this or do that or don't do this. They just wanted me to be happy. Um, but just before I get to that, I mean, the, you know, my relationship with my parents was interesting. Uh, it was good. It was a good relationship. Uh, my parents separated when I was pretty young. Uh, my dad was a real character. He owned uh, nightclubs and bars and various other things, uh, you know, kind of went uh, I could, a little shady on, on which side of the law he was on at times, um, <laughs> which you would appreciate, Martin. Um, but uh, no, I had a good childhood. I, I feel lucky, actually, that I grew up at a time before the Internet. You know, we weren't distracted by videos and phones. We had to go out and make our own fun. Um, and I had a lot of independence as a kid, you know, my friends and I would just get on our bikes and go ride and go, you know, figure out what we were going to do for the day and play basketball and hockey and football and whatever to keep ourselves, uh, you know, occupied. It was, it was a good childhood. So you played sports when you were growing up. Were you a good student as well? I was a better student than I was an athlete. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Uh, you know, I did play sports. I did play a little football, um, but it was mostly pickup, you know, in the neighborhood with friends, uh, which we had a great time with. Uh, it, I played goalie uh, in hockey. I played quarterback in football. Um, and, and I was just, I was okay. I was not like, no one was going to offer me a scholarship <laughs> to do any of those things, uh, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Did you did you start playing water polo back then as well? I did not. I didn't start playing water polo until I was like forty ish, uh, and um, a water polo, a, a men's water polo team uh, was actually co-ed, but a, 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 a masters team started um, called San Francisco Tsunami, 
and I started playing with them and I had never played before. I was a pretty good swimmer, but I had never played water polo and I still play. And I met my now husband, he joined the team and we, um, you know, uh, started seeing each other shortly thereafter. And we're still together like 22 years later. So when you're in high school, do you, it, I know you have a science background. I want to get into that a little bit. Um, what made you kind of lean toward the sciences? You know, I don't have a really good explanation for that. I think, you know, because I said, mentioned that neither of my parents went to college. And so my interests at the time in high school were really politics and Spanish where I, you know, I was, I really enjoyed learning Spanish uh, in high school. I loved politics. I even like a friend and I conducted a, a, a public opinion poll uh, on our own by calling people randomly out of the Buffalo phone book when we were 10 years old. Um, but I, I couldn't see what I would do if I'd gone in to study politics or political science and Spanish at that time. This is like 1975, 76. I, I, I couldn't imagine what I would do with that. I mean, now when I think about it, I could think of a hundred things to do. But so I decided to be much more practical. Um, and what did I enjoy doing? I really liked gardening. Uh, I liked being, you know, outside and literally, you know, planting trees or flowers and stuff like that. So I, my initial major at Cornell uh, was horticulture, believe it or not. Um, and so I, 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 when I started taking all these science classes, and I realized this was not what I wanted to do with my life, but I didn't want to throw out all those credits, those science credits. So I transferred or transitioned into focusing on nutrition human nutrition, which at that time was really a big thing. It still is, but it was just beginning to be a big thing. And so I um, transferred all those credits. And then I took all these science classes, physiology, microbiology, organic chemistry, uh, lots of you know human nutrition classes and so on. And um, that's what I ended up graduating in. But um, you know, at the same time, when I was at Cornell, I worked at the radio station as a disc jockey, you know, spinning records. And so that's how I really got into radio initially was uh, just volunteering. And then I got hired for the, during the summers to spin records, you know, uh, but I was always kind of a news junkie. And so eventually I ended up back in radio, but doing news. Yeah. Your voice is amazing, by the way. I mean, I, it's just like, it, I don't know how to describe it when I think there's a certain voice, when a certain type of voice that gives you a sense of calm. And mm. I think you have one of those kind of voices. And what kind of music did you spin back then? Oh boy, it was well. We had we had free free range. We could do what we wanted. And so this is 1977, 1980. And so this was the beginning of the Clash, Blondie, the Cars, um, Talking Heads, Elvis Costello, but then some vintage stuff as well. You know, the Beatles, Cream. Uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Neil Young, you know, Pink Floyd. It was all, Led Zeppelin, you know, it was all that stuff. Now, and and Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. I love Joni Mitchell. And did you have any brothers, any siblings growing up or is it just you? Yeah, I'm the, the youngest of three. So I have a, an older brother who's six years older and a sister who's eight years older. Uh, and so I, you know, I wasn't super close to them growing up because they were, you know, they were significantly older than, than I. Um, but, uh, so they were out of the house by the time, you know, I was 12 or something. So, so what did your, what did your parents think when you're like, you're getting your site, you're getting your, all that you're getting your degree in science and you, your mm -hmm. focus is on science, but you're doing the radio. 
did they have an opinion about that? I mean, did you have an idea? This is what I want to do. Or were you still like, kind of like, I'm trying to figure this out. Uh, I was trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, I always assumed that I would gravitate toward working in the community. Like, and I did for a while. I worked for this, when I came out here, I worked for the San Francisco food bank initially. And then I worked with uh, pregnant teenagers and teen parents talking with them about nutrition. Um, and so, you know, I think with parents, especially ones who maybe aren't very worldly, like my parents were, were not, they like to have things that are easy to understand. Like, oh, my son's a teacher. Oh, my son's a doctor. Oh, my son is whatever. My daughter is, you know, a computer engineer, whatever. But I think what I did was a little more weird, you know, and I think they probably, I don't know if they fully understood what I did. Um, so, but, but they did once I got into radio and politics, that, that was easy. So Scott, how did you get into this? Um, you, you finished your, you finished your degree. What brought you to the California? So as I graduated uh, from Cornell, I was offered a job in radio in Massachusetts and I just couldn't see myself being a disc jockey, you know? And so I thought, I said, I'm going to go do a, a post-grad thing in nutrition uh, and I applied to several programs and I got into the one at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. So I went to Madison for a year. It was a year long program. And then I knew I wanted to live in a city, um, but I didn't know which one. And so a friend, a couple of friends and I drove cross country and we went to Seattle and Portland and San Francisco and L.A. and San Diego and Las Vegas and Denver. And I just really fell in love with San Francisco. Uh, this is 1980, uh, 81. And so I just decided to, to move out here. And I didn't really know hardly anybody out here at all, um, maybe one or two people. So just kind of loaded everything up into my car and drove out here. Oh, my God. And so that's kind of like you took that big leap. When you when you took the leap, were you scared of doing it? Did you have like any financial resources to last in San Francisco? You know, I, I think... I, I, I just did it. You know, I don't think I, I didn't, I did not, I'm not like a trust fund kid. Uh, you know, it's not like I had to work when, as soon as I got out here and rent was like, it seemed expensive at the time. It was like 400 bucks for a, a room and with a couple of roommates, uh, in the hate, hate Ashbury. Um, so it was a great place to be. It was very exciting. Um, but I didn't really like San Francisco initially. You know, my car was broken into, uh, it got, it got towed, and I thought, oh, this place is just really hostile, you know, and I was going to leave. But then, you know, gradually made friends and stuck around and been here, you know, ever since. But, you know, it was so yeah, it was yeah, it was a little, you know, kind of took a leap of faith to come out here. And so what was the first job you got? Did you have to get a couple of jobs and any well, direction? So I, so I thought I, I had a job lined up before I left Madison. Uh, working with, um, I think it was uh, the Rural Legal Assistant, California Rural Legal Assistance, which works with low-income folks uh, in um, rural areas. And it was doing food policy. It was That's what I thought that the job was going to be, working on food policy, like in Sacramento and stuff. And sometime between the, the time I left Madison and the time I got here, that job evaporated. <laughs> so it was, I did, came out here and I had no job. So I just had to start looking around, you know, and I ended up working for the San Francisco food bank. Um, I waited on tables for a while. Uh, then I got this other job working with pregnant teenagers. And then I, my employer at that time, luckily gave me time off to do an internship at KPFA radio. Uh, and that's where I transitioned. That's why I transitioned back into radio, but radio news. 
how did you know you wanted to do that? Did, did these opportunities just come to you? Or, I mean, it's insane how, I mean, is this just, are, they, are people just emailing you and saying, oh, at the time they probably didn't have email, but did they call you or how did you, like, how did you get these kind of connections? Oh my goodness. Let's see. Uh, in terms of the radio stuff, you know, you had to, there were only a certain number of news radio stations, you know? And so I would, you'd make a tape of yourself, you know, and you'd send it out with your, with your resume. And that's how you did it. And you'd either get a call back or you wouldn't. Um, it always helped if you knew somebody, you know, that you could drop their name and say, Hey, so-and-so told me to give you a call. And so lo and behold, I ended up getting a couple of little small gigs at local radio stations. And then I got a, I got hired to work full-time in Sacramento at KFDK, which is a news talk station. Um, and actually, while I was working there, they hired Rush Limbaugh, who was out of work at that time. <laughs> so he and I worked at the same radio station. Not to, we didn't work together, but we, you know, his desk was right across from mine. Did did you actually see him all the time, pretty regularly? Oh yeah, every day I saw him. Yeah, he was a jerk then as well. <laughs> he so he was. Yeah, it was a rough road with him back then as well. I didn't know that he. he I didn't know he ever worked up there. Yeah, that's where he launched. He got launched from up there. That's how he became a national show. Was from Sacramento. Um, yeah, he was very. He was an oddball. You know, he he was very kind of socially awkward. Uh, I, I always got the sense he was kind of a big mouth, but also kind of insecure at the same time. Kind of a bully, you know. Um, so I didn't. I did not become friendly with him. You know, and I yes, he was just, he was just there, but and I was there, but that was about it. Scott, how do you how did you determine do you when you went to the radio station, did you pitch what you wanted to do? How did you know you wanted to do government and politics? Well, you know, when I was growing up, I was always drawn to politics. Uh, my dad was really a kind of a political junkie. We always read the newspaper together. Um, I would, you know, on weekends, you know, I would watch shows like Meet the Press and Face the Nation, you know, what most kids don't do that kind of thing. So, you know, it was just something I was, you know, naturally uh, drawn to. Uh, and so it made sense, you know, especially when I was looking for a career change to, to do that. It wasn't like necessarily, oh, I always wanted to do that, but it was like, what are my options based on what I, my skill set, what can I go do? And that was just one of the things, you know, so I, that's where I gravitated toward. What was it like breaking into the industry? Because it's totally different. You were, you're a disc jockey. So you're going into reporting. So you're doing the investigation side. So you, not only do you have to be able to speak well, you have to write as well. So how did you make that transition? Well, I was lucky. I had a, a the guy that hired me was he liked me a lot, um, and he gave me opportunities. I started off working as a morning editor at like four in the morning, um, and then gradually he offered me host a hosting job. I was probably like 24, 25 years old, and that um, was right at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. And I remember doing some reporting, early reporting uh, on AIDS, uh, and he was just very encouraging. You know, so he really gave me a lot of latitude. And then he and I came down to San Francisco together to work at another radio station where, where all I was doing was interviews. That's all I did all day long was interviews. Um, and so I did that and um, it was great. But then that radio station changed format. So I was out of a job. You know, it was 1986. And that's how I transitioned into politics and campaigns, which I did for a few years. Scott, when you first started your career, 
did you have any stories that had a, a big impact on you that um that you were saying to yourself oh man this is i can't believe i, I had to do this and and what those kind of feelings were when you had to do those kind of stories hmm. well i mean quite honestly martin you and i i met you working on a story which is one of the ones that really sticks with me uh you know you I wanted to spend some time with a parole agent. And so the <laughs> Department of Corrections uh, steered me in your direction. That's, and we met and we, uh, you know, would go around knocking on doors, you know, and I remember some of the crazy things we did and saw. You saw those things every day. I didn't. I just saw them when I was with you. So things like that. And that, I kind of gravitated toward a lot of stories related to criminal justice as a result of that. You know, I've been to death row a couple of times. Uh, been to a number of different prisons, um, did a uh, couple stories on uh, people who, what you do now, the lifers who get out of prison, you know, and, and what life is like for them and how they make that transition. Um, you know, those are some of the things, you know, I did some reporting on the death penalty. I mean, those are some of the things that really have, have stuck with me, you know, quite honestly. And why are those things so important to you? Like what kind of emotions or thoughts does it bring up to you when you're doing those stories? Well, a couple things. One, I think how lucky I am to get to do these kinds of things. I mean, you know, I would have no reason to go to death row or to a prison and talk with inmates and, you know, or a parole officer. But, you know, when you're a journalist, you get the opportunity to, to talk to people and do things and see things and report on things that you would probably never otherwise get to do. Uh, and so there's just a, a sense of, wow, I get to see this whole world. Um, whether it's, you know, in, in a prison or something in related to politics, political conventions, you know, I've covered a number of presidential, um, nominating conventions over the years. Uh, so it's, it, it's just exciting to hear people's stories. You know, I love uh, going out, even if it's just random people on the street, you know, and to talk with people and hear their point of view about things. I love getting out of the Bay Area and going to smaller towns, more conservative parts of California. I, I did some, a really interesting story about a year ago on a, a militia-led recall campaign of a Republican supervisor up in Shasta County. You know, things like that just, they stick with me because I fi you find yourself in places where you wouldn't be if you weren't doing this kind of work. You know, I remember some of the people that answered those doors you knocked on Martin, when we were, it's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so, what what do your creative juices come from? Do you ever have stress when you're trying to think of a story? I mean, that's probably something that you're you're doing a story, then you're trying to think of the next story. Who generates those for you? Hmm. Well, you know, I typically do it myself. I mean, I do it with a, I have a team that you know we collaborate on things. But, um, you know, fortunately, I'm really lucky I've, for most of my career, I've gotten to do anything I thought of that was approved by, you know, people above me, which was all I, I was almost never told no, um, which is really unusual. So um, there have been, you know, occasionally there are things where people say, hey, can you do this or will you do this? But by and large, it's just thinking of things, you know, on my own that I think would be interesting and worthwhile. You know, one example of that is, uh, you know, after Jerry Brown left office in 2000, um, when did he leave office? 2019, I guess it was. Um, 
you know, I, I approached him about doing a series of interviews about his life, you know, his, an oral history with him. And we did that. And again, you know, I got to go up to his ranch, you know, for over the course of several months, talk with him about his life, record all of that and turn it into an eight part podcast. And, and it's just, you know, it's just super interesting. You know, it's all, I almost feel like I'm in, in school a lot of the time, like, because before I interview somebody, you have to read about them. And, you know, like with Jerry Brown, you know, I had to bone up on his whole life and, you know, the kinds of things I wanted to talk to him about. So it's, it's, it's like a constant learning about whatever it is I'm going to be reporting on. So it's kind of like you're in college. Did you have any role models when you entered the industry, like people that you looked up to that you wanted to be like or emulate? Hmm. <clears throat> well, you know, back when I first got in to radio, it was very different because there was only three, four, three broadcast stations, you know, NBC, CBS, ABC. It was before CNN or CNN was just starting maybe. You know, we didn't have all these like Fox News and, you know, all these kind of um, siloed sources of news and information like we have now. And so, you know, I did, I admired people like Walter Cronkite you know, who I, you know, I thought people trusted people, uh, you know, he seemed very even handed and balanced. And, you know, I, I, I think I still try to do that, but it's, it, it the, the, the news landscape has changed so much that it's very, it's just very different now. And sometimes they're not always looking for completely balanced stories. They want things more with a point of view, you know? So that's been a bit of a transition, but, but yeah, I think, you know, people, people like that, you know, um, you know, people in politics I'm trying to think, I mean, there were, there were a lot of, you know, senators who I really admired, um, people like, uh, oh, I don't know, like Frank, this is going way back, but you know, Frank church from Idaho and, um, you know, people who were really crusaders for, you know, the good guys, I guess, you know, George McGovern to a certain extent, um, Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, that sort of thing. Let, let me ask you, you kind of segued into a question I was going to have for you. Can you juxtapose, you said the landscape's changed a lot. It's got to be extremely more challenging now because a lot of, we used to have newspaper print and newspaper print that used to be television and newspaper. And now, now there's just a million different mediums. How has that impacted your job and how do you parse out and how do you focus on dealing with what people are always trying to figure out. Is this fake news? Is this not fake news? How do you deal with something like this? Mm. Well, fortunately, you know, I work for KQED, which is an NPR national public radio affiliate. And, you know, here in the Bay area, especially, you know, we have, we have a very big audience, you know, we're rated number one or two in the ratings usually. And it's a very highly educated population. I mean, the Bay Area has more PhDs and master's degrees and college degrees than most, you know, metro areas in the United States. So fortunately, you know, there's an, a real appetite for news that is, it's not just one-sided, it's more nuanced, you know, you provide context and it's thought provoking, hopefully, you know, things that are, you know, edu going to educate people, enlighten people, entertain people. So it's relatively easy. I mean, if I worked for a different kind of a news outlet where, you know, we had to worry about things like clickbait, you know, putting things online that people would click on, you know, just to get the, the ratings up, you know, uh, it would be a lot less fun probably. Um, but, you know, we're, we're fortunate that we don't have that kind of a, 
a model. You know, we don't get money from advertisers. We get it from listeners and viewers. We get a little bit of money from corporations, you know, and foundations, but it's mostly from individuals. And so we don't have to, you know, rely on doing sort of sensationalized uh, stories. When you're out in the community doing different stories, have you have you seen any type of change in terms of the how the community accepts you? And what mm -hmm. I mean by that is I think most people now, unfortunately, because of some of the political trends, they look at the media with a little bit of suspicion. Can, can you tell that difference? And how do you kind of make people more comfortable to, to realize that you know, hmm. you're just trying to help. You're actually just not, you're not trying to hurt anybody. Well, um, I, I'm always amazed at how trusting people are and how will, cause they don't have nobody else to talk to me, you know? And I, you know, occasionally, you know, you'll go up to strangers if you're, you know, just looking for sort of man on the street kind of comments and people just don't want to talk, especially if it's about something controversial. But, you know, by and large, I find, especially in the Bay Area, when they find out that you work for KQED, they're like, oh, I love KQED. You know, so if I if I said I work for Fox or Newsmax or, you know, some other organization, I might not get a, re a reaction like that. You know, that said, you know, I, I went up to Shasta County a year ago and did this story about this. Um, uh, it was a recall uh, of a Republican supervisor up there, and it was being led by the militia. Uh, so it was a very conservative-led, very conservative, right-wing, extremist kind of group. And so I went up there unannounced, and I had to go talk with some of those folks. And 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 my first stop was a barber shop in Cottonwood, California. And um, the one of the heads of the recall worked there as the barber. And I didn't know it until I got there, but he was also the head of the militia. <laughs> So, you know, I walked into this barber shop and there's like a Confederate flag on the wall and all these, you know, signs about liberals and, you know, uh, Joe Biden and this and that Pelosi. And I thought a lot about about how I was going to get in there and talk to people, have them talk to me. And so I I gave a lot of thought to what I wore. Um, I gave a lot of I took the KQED thing off of my microphone. Um, and I had a, an answer ready. Oh, I, you know, it was, it was all truthful, but you know, I knew they were going to ask me, well, who are you with? And, and so, you know, I, I told the truth, but it was not, I would not say it was the full truth. You know, I, I said, well, I'm working on a, for a statewide show called the California report, which I was, um, and it's heard from San Diego all the way up to the Oregon border. And so I, I made it seem like, oh, that, that sounds good. You know, Central Valley, it's heard in Fresno and the Central Valley, it's heard in Sacramento. And so I did what I did. I didn't say, oh, I work for, you know, I live in San Francisco. I'm Jewish. I'm gay. And, you know, I work for NPR. You know, I just didn't say any of those things. But they, you know, they kind of make, make a snap momentary judgment. They kind of look you up and down and, and they decided to talk to me, you know. So it was, it was great. It was one of my more memorable reporting trips. So that gets to the, uh, another question I have is, uh, what's the best part of your job and what's the most challenging part of your job hmm. well i think the best part is uh the freedom that i have to do so many different things um and i, I do love talking to people and going out you know and just and hearing people's stories you know i think people i, I host a show called political breakdown and we have a lot of politicians on and people who work in politics 
and it's it, it's a lot of it's focused on their biography like where did they kind of like what you're doing now like where did you grow up what was your family like how did you get to where you are now and it's just so interesting to hear because like people you know you see them now as elected officials but the stories you hear uh you know the the mayor of oakland right now sheng sheng tao we had her on she was homeless she had a baby she was living in a car you know and you hear stories like that from people and it, they're just it's amazing to me and that people are willing to share all those things and talk about those things um and so i really like that you know the, the most challenging parts you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've done this for a long time now. And so it's like finding things that are really going to get me excited, you know, that I haven't done before. You know, that's like one of the, ch one of the challenges. Um, if you had to give advice to people in terms of getting into the industry or meeting their goals, what kind of advice would you give somebody if they wanted to break into um, the, the news business? Well, I would say um, don't get a degree in journalism, <laughs> um, which is going to cost you a lot of money. I mean, you can. Some people do. It's fine. It's great. I'm not saying don't do that, but you don't have to do that. Um, you know, I think you get experience. You got to get your foot in the door, be willing to do things that, you know, so I think some people feel like, oh, th that's beneath me. You know, I'm, I, I don't, I, I'm smarter than that, or I should be doing something more important, or I should be on the radio, or I should be on TV. Well, no, you have to pay your dues. Um, and I think that you have to be ready, be ready for that, you know, and, and not think that something is demeaning. I mean, you know, and, and work your way up, you know, and I, but I think getting your foot in the door is the most important thing. Um, you know, KQED and a lot of other stations have internships, you know, for, young people to get into the business. A lot of those folks have been hired by KQED. Some of them have been hired by the host of Marketplace. Kai Rizdahl was an intern at KQED, you know, at one point. A lot of folks who are on the air now were interns at KQED. So, you know, I would just say, um, figure out where you want to be um, and what you want to do, but get your foot in the door and be willing to do whatever it is to, you know, sort of become appreciated wherever it is you are. Can you tell me how the landscape of your profession has changed? I would say um, over the last five to six years, uh, just with the scrutiny and all the different outlets and Twitter and everything else, how's that impacted your job and how does it change the way that you have to look at things? Well, um, you know, I think when Trump became president, a lot of, you know, before that, I think the media, at least, where I work, we, we were very even handed about things. You know, we tried to present both sides, be even handed, you know, talk to opponents, talk to supporters. And I, I think, what, you know, what Trump did with his constant lying and, you know, belittling people and misrepresenting things, whether it was climate change or, you know, the pandemic, whatever, you know, we, we just realized that we, you can't, every story doesn't lend itself to being 50-50. You know, and so I think there it created a shift where, you know, now we're a little more um, we put ourselves into the story. We our own view point of view sometimes more than we used to do. So, you know, for example, um, you know, we do more analysis, which is, you know, kind of opinion in a way. You're telling people what you think based on what you know. And so there's a lot, lot more of that. Um, but unfortunately, I mean, the downside is that there is this crazy bifurcation of, of facts, you know, where 
people think an election was stolen when there's no evidence of that, but they're convinced of it. And, you know, they just uh, go down these rabbit holes, you know, and it's really, it's kind of hard to, to deal with that. And you really can't change people's minds, you know, once they've done that, um, it, they just, so they're kind of unavailable to you. Um, so it's, it's a little, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's just the way the landscape is right now. Have you ever had a story you did where, like you said, it went down a rabbit hole and you said, you know what, this story is not going the way I like it to go and I, I just probably can't do this? Or do you just keep going with it, even if you know some of the things you're saying not necessarily um, are what you'd necessarily like or not like, but it's just not fact driven? Hmm. How do you deal with that? Or do you put it out there and you correct it? How, how do you handle those kinds of stories? Hmm. Well, I mean, we always have the, you know, the, 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 the right to just abandon a story. Like if it's like, oh, that's not going to pan out, you know, I, and you just drop it, you know? So I, you know, you certainly do that from time to time. Um, in terms of, I mean, sometimes, you know, even though things are going in a direction you didn't expect, sometimes that's okay. You know, you have to go with it. Maybe it's a different story than you thought it was going to be, but it could still be an interesting story. It just wasn't what you were anticipating. So you have to be kind of open, open to that possibility that somebody's going to, you know, say something or, you know, tell you something, refer you to somebody and you're, it's going to kind of go off in a different direction um, than maybe you, you, it started off in. How has the job impacted your life personally? Um, well, I mean, it's, I feel like it, it, it's, I think a lot of people look at the job that I have and they think, wow, that's a really cool job. Um, and there is, you know, a certain amount of people knowing you, uh, you know, it's radio, it's mostly radio, some television, but, you know, I think people in the Bay Area, because we have a big audience, you know, people have, you know, will occasionally come up to me and say, oh, you know, I really like your work or whatever. So, you know, there is a, an element of kind of big fish in a small pond, maybe, uh, you know, but I think there is a, a public profile to, especially with, you know, you asked her earlier about like social media, I mean, Twitter and uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I mean, there's all those other ways to get your work out there. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's funny. I, when I was initially getting started in my career, I, and I didn't really like what I was doing. This is before I got into radio. I just kind of thought, well, I'm going to have, I could be one of these people where work is not the most important thing to me. You know, I'm going to have other things going on in my life, but work is not going to be the primary thing. And that has not turned out to be the case, you know, for me, you know, it's this it, work has been a big, you know, part of my identity, you know, and people, you know, who meet me sometimes will, oh, you know, I've heard you on the radio or whatever. And, you know, I play water polo. You mentioned that at the beginning. Um, you know, there's a lot of younger people on the team and it's amazing to me that, you know, a lot of them actually listen, you know, probably on their phones, they don't listen on the radio, but, um, you know, so there, and I think, you know, they've come to events that I've done at KQED with Nancy Pelosi and, you know, the mayor things like that. So it, you know, it kind of gives you a kind of, I don't know, I, I hesitate to say this, but it's kind of a, um, you know, kind of a, I don't know. It's a little bit of a status, I guess, you know, that you're like, oh, that's cool. You you do that for a living, you know. How do you handle your stress, Scott? I know that you do water. Is there other things that you do in your life to kind of balance your life out? I, I've known you for quite a while. You're extremely busy. Um, 
and and I think one part we didn't touch on the job is stressful too. As much as you enjoy it, you have timelines. There's things that you have to um, meet. And how do you handle that stress? Um. <clears throat> well, I do get a lot of exercise. You know, I, I swim and play play water polo. Um, I've started playing pickleball. Um, and so, you know, try to get as much, I do some bike riding as well sometimes. So, you know, that's key. That's really, really super important. And water polo is a very strenuous sport, you know, so it's, it's good to, it just kind of releases all those endorphins and, you know, it's, it's great to relieve stress that way. Um, other than that, um, you know, I don't, I don't really find the work stressful. I find that sometimes the work relationships a little stressful. And I, I now I'm a manager of a, some people and I, that is not my favorite thing, but fortunately they're, they're great folks and they don't require a lot of management. They're very independent and go-getters. So that makes it a lot easier. Um, but, you know, I try to be, I, I try to, if there's something bothering me at work, I'll try to talk to somebody about it, you know, not, not just hold it in, but try to get it out on the table and, and deal with it. Um, you know, and so, sometimes that's successful. Sometimes it's not. I have a few final questions for you. I, I want to ask you this. Um, I have some good fun questions for you, but I got to ask you one serious question. Um, my last one. Okay. Where, where do you see the future of news going? I mean, I know that you said at some point you're going to retire, but where do you see it going 10 years from now? And do you feel like it's going in a positive direction? Um, it just seems that there's so many outlets now. I think one of the things that people always ask me about is they can't tell whether what's true or not anymore. They don't know what outlet to go to. They don't know how to fact check. How, what advice would you give people if they're choosing a radio station to listen to? And how do you fact check this? What, what, I, don't, I don't know what advice to give them. Well, you know, there are websites and uh, that do fact checking. There's a, something called PolitiFact, you know, and so like they'll listen to a speech like the State of the Union address or whatever campaign speech or, and they'll, they'll look for things that are, they'll evaluate the accuracy of it. So, you know, there are, there are places like that you can go. Um, I think there are some organizations that have reputations for being really solid. I think NPR is one, PBS is another, the New York Times, uh, the Washington Post. Now there are people who think that those are just like right uh, left-wing, you know, propaganda, you know, uh, anti-Republican. And, you know, there is a certain amount of truth to that, but I think they are trying to get to the bottom of stories. I mean, the New York Times was just as tough on Bill Clinton and Obama as they, you know, were on Trump um, in some way, in many ways. So I, I think you just have to go to the to the news outlets that are regularly award, like are awarded for their journalism. You know, they, do they win a Pulitzer? Do they win Pulitzer prizes? Do they win other kinds of prizes, awards that acknowledge, you know, how how good their work is, how important it is, and how much you know of an impact it has? But you know, unfortunately, we live in a time where some people, you know, just don't believe the truth, you know, and they come up with their, they'll find a place where they have an alternate truth that is not accurate, um, but which they subscribe to. And they go down, like I said, they go down these rabbit holes, QAnon, you know, um, Fox News, you know, some of the things that the tangents they go on. Um, and some of them are even worse. Uh, Newsmax, um, 
Alex Jones, Jones, Infowars, like all that crap, you know, is just crazy. But unfortunately, people are susceptible to it. But, you know, I would try to, you know, do a little research and figure out which organizations are highly, most highly regarded. Well, we've got about five minutes to go. I, I want to uh, ask you these rapid fires here. What's your favorite guilty pleasure food wise? Um, <laughs> there's so many, um, I would say probably chocolate, dark chocolate, uh, favorite place to visit in the world. Cause I'm sure you've been to a lot of places. Oh my God, Martina. I know we've talked about Brazil, you and I, um, I can't, I mean, if I had to pick one, I would say, I don't know, Italy maybe, but I, you know, I love Mexico. <laughs> we just came back from Maui, you know, uh, so it really depends. I mean, I love, I love, I do like beach vacations, you know. And favorite kind of music? Jazz. Uh, I was lucky enough years ago to meet uh, Ella Fitzgerald um, uh, when I was working in the mayor's office and uh, been, saw like three of her concerts. Uh, I listen, I listen to jazz all the time. I like just last night we went out and to the Black Cat, which is a little jazz club in, in the Tenderloin and heard some jazz live. So, yeah. Okay, what would what advice would the older self give the younger self? <laughs> um, follow your passion, you know, and 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 don't worry um, about what people are going to think of you. You know, just be a good person, and things will fall in place. You don't have to worry that you're, you know, never going to find your passion or your uh, the career that's going to make you happy. Um, yeah. Uh, I think just, uh, you know, do what, do what makes you happy and, and the rest will fall into place. If you can meet one person in history, who would it be and what would you say? Oh, my God. Jesus. <laughs> and I would ask, like, do you really think homosexuality is a sin? And, you know, I, I would, I would, you know, the Bible gets used for all these crazy things. And I would want to know, or either him or like some of the founding fathers as well. Like, did you really want people to have semi-automatic weapons? <laughs> you know? I, 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 I had a feeling it's spoken like a true reporter. <laughs> and, and when you're no longer on this earth, what do you want when they mention your name? What do you want to be remembered by? Are remembered um, for yeah i think you know being kind and decent and you know trying to be a good person um you know somebody who was a good friend um and you know the the, the career stuff is you know that'll have, whatever that'll you know people will remember that or they won't but i think it's more about like what kind of person were you and you know do people remember you fondly um did they are they glad they got to know you or that you were in their life you know that sort of thing and Scott, tell me, tell our audience, um, how can they follow you? You have a lot of different platforms. So maybe you can talk about your podcast and where they can sure. follow you. Sure. Yeah. Well, on Twitter, I'm at Scott Schaefer. Um, and you can go to kqed.org slash with my name. And, uh, you know, that'll pull up some of the things that I've done there. Um, there's also something called Muckrack, which is um, if, you, if you create an account, which I have, everything I ever do online on the radio on tv pops up there um it's a little annoying because like if i do something for npr and it airs on you know 50 stations each station is listed even though it's the same thing um but that's you know that's a good place as well 
Well, I want to tell you, thank you so much for being here. I know you're extremely busy and, um, you know, I've always thought the world of you. I enjoy your reporting. You've always been kind and fair and just good to people. And I just really, really appreciate you, you being here today, Scott. Thank you. Well, so much. Martin, thank you. You're I've been back at you. You know, I was so impressed with you the days we spent together, you know, showing me all the, the hard work you do to keep people out of prison. Um, so it's, it's really been a pleasure getting to know you. And I'm glad we reconnected because we haven't talked in a while. I haven't seen you in yes, God, yes. well, how many years? So it's, it's, it's yes, good I, to see you. We will get together soon, my friend. And, good. Uh, but, but welcome. And like I said, thank you so much. And please enjoy the podcast. Till next time, everybody, to our next great guest. Take care and keep learning.